I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podquest cast. Part three. I am a podcast. 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 It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman and a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hello and welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm Justin Michael and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Jonah Hex Mex, the only restaurant in Gotham to satisfy your Mexican and cowboy food cravings. Now, last week was Comic-Con. I'm sure a lot of you were there. If you weren't, well, you're a little bit less sweaty. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody who went to the DC Collectibles panel at Comic-Con to check out the Batman the Animated Series action figure commercial I made with Harry Chaskin. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, it's up on YouTube on DC's YouTube page. And spoiler alert, features Paul Dini and Kevin Smith making kissy faces. Yeah, check it out. Let me know what you thought. Now, before we get on with the show, I hope you guys don't mind, but I'm going to run a quick errand for the PodQuest cast. PodQuest cast, part three. It's a tri-podcast trilogy. Hello, and welcome to Rent-A-Vehicle. My name's Dolores Temples. How can I help you? Hey, hi. I am looking to rent a vehicle. How very surprising. Please, take a number and wait in line. I'll be with you sometime in the next three hours. Three hours? There's nobody else in here. Sir, please stop screaming at the top of your lungs, sir. I'm not screaming. Ouch, your screaming is hurting my dumpy little ears. Okay, fine. Sorry. I just don't understand why I have to wait in line if there aren't any customers. Waiting in line at Rent-A-Vehicle is store policy. It would be unfair to the people who haven't shown up yet if I gave you preferential treatment. Now, if you'll excuse me, it's time I shouted numbers. 2,896! Oh boy. Well, I am number 10,482, so you know what? I may as well dive into the episode while I wait. 2,898! Today's episode, Showdown. While attempting to rescue one of his immortal followers from a hospital, Ra's al Ghul tells Batman and Robin a tale from his mysterious past. We learn of his attempts in the 1800s to destroy the fledgling railroad and seize control of the U.S. government. The one person standing in his way? The renegade bounty hunter, Jonah Hex. Original air date, September 12th, 1995. Story by Kevin Altieri, Paul Dini, and Bruce Timm. Teleplay by Joe R. Lansdale. Directed by Kevin Altieri. Music composed by Tom Hayden with animation by Dong Yang. Featuring David Warner as Rachel Ghoul, William McKinney as Jonah Hex, Elizabeth Montgomery as the barmaid, Malcolm McDowell as Arcady Duval, and actual U.S. Senator Patrick Leahy as the governor. 
This episode is one of the strangest for the series. It's a flashback to the younger and more monocled days of Ra's al Ghul, the nearly immortal eco-terrorist and one of Batman's most formidable and interesting villains. But this episode is less about Batman versus Ra's and more about a steampunky adventure featuring guest hero Jonah Hex. Hex is a DC Comics character created by John Albano and Tony De Zuniga in 1972, who's a way more interesting character than the movie flop would have you believe. Today's fan, Eric Martin. Oh man, Eric Martin is a great guy. He is a producer of theatrical entertainment at Universal Studios Hollywood, a pro in the audiobook narration world, and a podcast man himself. He has a fantastic podcast called This American Wife. It's on iTunes. You can check it out. All right, join me as we go into interview land with Eric Martin. We're rolling. We're sitting in your house. Yeah. Back in the saddle. Back in the Saddle Ranch, the Eric Martin Saddle Ranch. <laughs> uh, we're sitting at Eric Martin's place because he kindly let me record at his home. It's nice to have you back in the saddle. Yeah. yeah. The Saddle Ranch, the Eric Martin Saddle Ranch. Feels, yeah, it feels right. We just laid some, uh, some uh, sawdust on the floor. and Yeah, it's disgusting in here. It's a real hovel. <laughs> it's a real hovel. How does your landlord feel about uh, throwing sawdust everywhere? Uh, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. So I shouldn't have just DM'd him on Twitter. He doesn't podcast. It's okay. fine. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, he's not on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I felt like an old man just making that reference. Like, DM'd him on Twitter. Like, that's a reference you kids will get. Old Man Landlord is actually a parody account, so you're not reaching him directly. <laughs> Come on, Old Man Lord. Just combine it. My brain works in predictable ways. <laughs> so we're sitting here to talk about... The episode Showdown, uh, but before we dive into it, I kind of want to get a background on where your love of Batman comes from. Like, when did you get interested in Batman? Yeah, well, it hit early and it hit hard for me. So the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie, that came out when I was 11 years old. And so that I was looking forward to it all summer. That was the movie that started the big summer blockbusters, yeah. really. Um, but I was completely bought into it, and so was there. You know, opening day um, was was so about it. Um, uh, you know, saw like the the, uh, the first morning show. But prior to that, I started collecting the comics in the run up to um, getting ready for the movie. So, so you were preparing for the movie by just collecting comics. Yeah, I started collecting Batman comics, and then it became an all-consuming obsession for a few years, and all I did was take all of my available cash and pour them into getting comic books. I had to get, it was Batman first, and then it was Spider-Man, and then it just kept growing from there, but... I'm a completionist in that sense. Are you somebody who, like, okay, well, I can't get just one of this thing. I have to get every part of the story, every part, every action figure for me, like, in a wave. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the real cruel thing at the time was that they would have these crossovers to get you excited about, you know, the comics. So there were these 20-part crossovers, and they span multiple books. And I had to have them all because I had to have the story. It was a a completist. But it's also just part of my, like, uh, if I take the time to know something, I'm going to truly know this thing. Yeah. I get into it. Yeah. Great. So I got into Batman real hard um, and then just collected, I think, every... Basically, there were five Batman titles at their peak in the early 90s, at the height of the comic book craze, and this is when I got roped in. Um, and I had to collect them all, and all the graphic novels, and all this stuff. And, and I eventually stopped Cold Turkey. It was, <laughs> it was right at the end of uh, Nightfall. So when, when uh, it was, was right after... the Bane arc? Yeah, so it was right after Bane cracked Batman's back. I'm like, I'm out. 
I'm done. Batman's out. I'm out. That's right. It really was. He he, he ushered me in and he, he took me out. <laughs> oh, man. So you got into, we talked a little bit about this off mic. A little on the OM. Yeah, we <laughs> I'm really should. trying to push that phrase, that abbreviation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, on the OM you were talking about uh, uh-huh. that you got into Batman the Animated Series by reading Batman Adventures, like the comic based off of the animated series originally? Well, no, it was both. So I knew that... Um, that oh, it was the, a simultaneous thing. I knew that... The, well, and the other thing is that... I mean, this was like a marriage, you know, made in heaven for me because I was a huge Warner Brothers animation fan at the time. And so I would watch... Um, uh, you know, I would come home and would literally tape the Looney Tunes cartoons off of the television just to have amass my library of every Looney Tunes. Um, oh, we're so cartoon. much the same person in some ways. It's <laughs> not surprising that we're friends. Okay, so there you I go. did the same thing with Batman. So. Oh, great. So, yeah, it was Looney Tunes and then Tiny Tunes and Animaniacs. But then when Batman hit, um, yeah, they, they came out. So I was tracking it. I was very excited to see it. But then they uh, came out with uh, simultaneously the comic book adaptation it was you know younger skewing batman adventure because it was a batman comic i had to get it as well it was really well written i just i've been rereading them going through that and like the batman and robin adventures and they're they basically feel like lost episodes of the animated series like some of them are written by paul dini and bruce tim uh hillary bader i believe who wrote on batman beyond like it's like got you know the pedigree is pretty top notch yeah it was quite the it was quite the uh, undertaking, it seems. The earlier comics, if I remember, they were like kind of divvied up into parts, like classic Batman comics. It would be like part That's one, right. part two, part three, or act one, two, and three. So I wonder, I mean, like they were treating it like a television episode, but a fun like comic book translation. It felt like an early, I don't know, kind of Marvel book or like Jack Kirby-esque yeah. story. It was for those... People who could, those kids like us who couldn't get enough of watching Batman every single day, so they needed more. I mean, I think it was airing twice a week in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, it was crazy. It was it wasn't daily? No, I guess it wouldn't because they only had so many episodes. They started rerunning it daily, though. Eventually, okay. I mean, I remember rushing home on weekdays to watch the new episodes. You know, whatever, or not new episodes, but watch the episode like at four or four thirty, and it yeah. was like. I think they got an initial run of 65 episodes, so it was like syndicated immediately. Yeah. It was appointment viewing, though, to be sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember the first episode you saw? Well, it would have been the first one. It would have been the pilot, you know. Oh, man. Because, uh, well, also at the time, I was, you know, uh, completely into, you know, as I say, comic books. So they had just done The Flash a couple of years prior for one season. The live action one, right? The live action Flash with, with Mark Hamill as the trickster. Um, and they just celebrated their 25th anniversary of it. But I remember at the time of like, this is the only thing we have. And it was it was done in the style of the Tim Burton Batman. You know, there was a bit of seriousness to it. Although looking back at it now is kind of goofy. But they had the Danny Elfman theme song. So it was like, hey, if you're a nerd, you have to support this. You, you This is all there is. So I was way into the flash. And so then knowing that uh, that this was coming up, I was like, well, this is the thing I have to get behind. And so I cleared my schedule and made sure that I was sitting there for episode one. <laughs> so why did you pick Shodan? You're the only person who's requested it. Yeah. And I just learned that you had not seen it until re- like watching it last night. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I stopped uh, I stopped watching the show right around the time I stopped the the comic books. So around ninety four, ninety five, something. So this episode was season three in ninety five. Uh-huh. But the reason I picked it was because it has so many great performers in it, and because it's a weird frame tale. But what what really was the thing that caught my eye the most was that it features. Um, 
United States Senator and Ultra Batman fan Patrick Leahy, the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, you know, playing a role on this on this episode. I had no idea that this was a thing until I started digging into it because you mentioned it. Yeah. Like the fact that he's had cameos in like a bunch of Batman movies, like he was in Batman Forever. You were saying he was in the yeah. Dark Knight? Was he, he was he had actually had a key scene in the Dark Knight when when the Joker I think it's one of the first appearance well no because they have the bank robbery scene but then he he threatens a group of uh, you know old powerful men and this is the one who stands up to him and he menaces him with a knife and it's Pat it's a Senator Patrick Leahy. Uh and so that was when, and then he was in the Dark Knight Rises and they just announced that he's going to be in the Batman and Superman movie. Yeah, he's playing Wonder Woman. Uh, they replaced <laughs> Gal uh, whatever her last name is, yeah. Godot. No. Waiting for Gal Gadot is the what I'm going to say to that as a transition. Yeah, that's what like there's so much cool trivia just outside like based on the production of this episode. I know that it was it was a collaborative episode between like Bruce Tim and Kevin Altieri and uh, Paul Dini kind of like came up with the story, and then Joe Lansdale, who's like this gothic horror writer, uh, wrote the episode. He wrote a few others. He wrote Critters, which is one of the oh. most reviled slash most celebrated cult episodes. I feel like you're on either end of the fence for that, but it was like a character named Farmer Brown who genetically engineered giant animals. It was like very much like silly atomic monster stuff, but I loved it. Yeah, there's nothing silly about atomic monsters. There's a pterodactyl attacking one of the Gotham police blimps. Why, why are people upset about that? There's a silo with praying mantises trying to kill Harvey Bullock. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want that episode? Yeah. Uh, but this one in particular is also like kind of a weird world because uh, it is a framed episode. It's not really a Batman story. It's a Jonah Hex story. Yeah, this is it's crazy. I mean, it's literally a frame tale where you know you you, you have Batman and Robin coming into a uh, coming into an old retirement home, which is unusual. Not a normal way to start an episode. No, maybe in the uh, the Dark Knight Returns it might make sense, but the, there's so many questions. Well, yeah, I mean, the League of Shadows, uh, those like you know, kind of ninja y assassin guys that work for Rachel Ghoul or Raz Al Ghoul. Depending on your pronunciation, <laughs> I I will always call him Raish because of the animated series, uh, but I think the correct pronunciation supposedly is Roz. Okay, yeah, I've always said Roz. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I grew up on the cartoon first, so that's I'm gonna just spit Raish the entire time. <laughs> so you know, I'm gonna SR, I'm gonna spit in some Raish OM. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't you don't uh, call him R A G. R A G, baby. <laughs> What's up, R A G? Hello, detective. <laughs> Rag. <laughs> Rag. I feel like the yeah, the hip hop community might call him uh, Rag. Oh man, I would love to hear the Rachel Ghoul rap. I would love to hear his like initial hip hop album. Yeah, we have a Turtles rap. We have a Bart Man. <laughs> Why don't we have? Yeah, Rizal? I do want it to be '80s rap though. I want it to be like yeah. you know. Just as like hip hop started to be commercialized, that's what I want. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Rachel Gould's rap album to be. Yeah, and it's him as played by David Warner, and he's just <laughs> spitting out the verse of his story, just his whole scene. Man, he's been around for six hundred years. He's got tales to tell. Oh yeah, I mean, I think uh, he collaborated with MC Hammer real briefly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Lazarus time, it was great. Yes. Oh, yes. we can punch that up later. <laughs> Please send in your punch ups uh, at BTAS Podcast. <laughs> Uh, Rachel Ghoul, let's talk a little bit about him. He's one of my favorite series villains. He's 
he always it always felt like a special episode. It was an epic episode whenever he showed up. He felt like the Joker and Rachel Ghoul were kind of like the only two villains who could really go toe to toe with Batman in different ways. Yeah, exactly. Like he he was the um he had an up on on Batman in certain ways. He had that long life I and mean, he was definitely more than um uh, he had more than a match. Yeah, so it was really Well, he cool. knew his secret identity. We had like a two-parter, The Demon's Quest, which was kind of adapted from, I believe, the original comic book version of Ra's al Ghul by, I think, like Len Wein and uh, Denny O'Neill worked on the first two-parter, which is kind of crazy. Oh, that like yeah. The guy who created Ra's al Ghul and the guy who created Wolverine... collaborated to write the two-parter that introduced him to the cartoon and it's such a good one and i feel like every episode where he shows up it's always really fun (laughs) well i love that he was made the the villain of um batman begins like that was such a great you know way to to start that mythology yeah and then um one of the first comics actually the first the first graphic novel i ever got now that i'm remembering was son of the demon which was his his uh his story i think that was with his daughter, Talia. Talia, yeah, yeah. They were like an item. They were a romantic item. I have, the two of them were uh, Batman. Oh, Batman and, and Talia. Okay, yeah, I yeah. Rage. Oh, and yeah. Talia. It was a very uh, uh, unusual family. I structure. mean, I wouldn't put it past Rage and Talia. Uh, you know, there's an episode of Batman Beyond that rides a real creepy zone yeah. between the two of them. Well, uh, we've seen what he's done with his son. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, this episode is so cool because it does marry a classic DC hero. I mean, like, having Jonah Hex and Rachel Ghoul together feels like a perfect match. Yeah. Uh, of course, the immortal villain is going to get to kind of be a part of the old-timey Western gunslinger's story. Yeah, it, it makes sense that he was he was still alive back then. What I what I loved about it was that you have this in, this wonderful steampunk element to it. You know, before steampunk was cool. Yeah, I mean it was westerny, yeah. uh, but it does have those steampunky elements plus Batman. Like, what else could you want? Yeah. The fact that it's not really a Batman episode. This yeah. is a Jonah Hex episode. Yeah, I don't think there is an another episode of the animated series that really starred somebody other than Batman. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe there's like a more Robin-focused thing in Robin's Reckoning. Uh, but I think this is the only kind of framed story from yeah. the series. It's just like, well, Batman, sit back. We're going to tell you a tale. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it honestly is just like, all right, I'm going to tell a very long story, <laughs> and it's going to take the exact amount of time that That's it takes right. for you to go from the retirement home to where I am currently. Right. Listen up, detective. <laughs> 20 minutes, two act breaks. Yeah. That's all I need of your time. Yeah, I wonder if they really counted the commercials in there. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's just Batman and Robin essentially listening to a 1995 or 96 podcast. <laughs> exactly. Stories of the Demon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, God. We got to do a racial ghoul of this American life. <laughs> exactly. We did, I, there's a twist or two in that, that tale, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got, you know, he's lived for hundreds of years. 600, I think, is what he was saying at the time. Yeah. I didn't realize he had been around that long. Yeah, he's an old dude. Yeah, <laughs> he looks well, great. That Lazarus pit does miracles. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps, he keeps stumbling back into that uh, right. life-giving thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does drive him insane. Yeah. <laughs> there are side effects, yeah. Yeah, you come out muscly and screaming and trying to kill your daughter, but... <laughs> yeah. With you little, look good. Yeah, little bolt streaks of gray in your hair. It's very handsome. I'm surprised he kept the same haircut the whole time. Like, he looks like the devil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and has, like, a Fu Manchu going on. 
I'm glad he didn't go into the Lazarus Pit for the first time in the late 1980s because he would have just had a fixed hair helmet mullet, uh, <laughs> you know, through the century into like 25th century. He really dodged a bullet. Yeah, yeah. He he has some kind of like eternally styled hair. It's always going to be. It's always going to look good. Yeah, he's just this uh, strutting Elizabethan, you know, man rock. What a what a what a like confident choice to wear a green cape and a full green suit. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when I was a kid, I'm going to be honest with you here, uh, in my teen years, so I saw the movie uh, The Mask and I really wanted a banana yellow suit. And I never could find one. I, I got a green suit. Uh, and I would wear to, you know, I think I wore to, you know, school dances, etc. But I feel like I never you could did pull feel, that off. I feel I feel like um, it would be a little hairy, a little dicey, a little dubious. But I, I mean, could, you'd be making a statement. You'd I could walking. ultimately pull it off. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I feel like if anybody would know, it'd be like Paul F. Tompkins. Like, where do I get a crazy suit and uh, not look like a complete maniac? Yeah. Like, somehow he pulls off the dandy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. But if anyone would know, Paul would know at this point. Yeah. Paul, where's the suit from the mask at? <laughs> I also remember that suit. It's like very 90s baggy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of was zoot suity. Yeah, it really was. Well, that was, well, yeah, it was inspired by a zoot suit, essentially, yeah. yeah. Which, you know. Not my, it's not my culture, not my people, but uh, I still appreciate, you appreciate it. it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think Raish appreciated it too, and he was kind of taking a, a modern spin on an old favorite that uh, he was years ahead of his time yeah. doing. My point exactly. Uh, okay, let's see. Suits. Getting away from suits. <laughs> How did I lead us down this rabbit hole? Yeah, it was me. I confess. It was well, me. I'll take the blame. <laughs> So you're a very gracious host. Uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, if you have any, if you have any like murders on your record, I'll I'll kind of like take the fall for that too. Oh, you're an incredibly gracious host. Yeah, I'll be in jail for 400 years. <laughs> really, you shouldn't have. throw me a Lazarus pit. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this episode is really cool because it is a flashback to the early days of Rachel Ghoul, but also an intro to Jonah Hex, who feels like a Western Batman. Yeah, he's got the old Two Face eye. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is not. Bad things have happened to his face. Oh yeah, I mean, his skin melted over part of his mouth. Yeah, but he still has a way with a lady of the evening, though. Yeah, there's something in his um, grim determination that really set her heart aflutter. Well, he does. You know, he seems like a good guy. You know, he 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 didn't seem like a, a shitty dude. Yeah, <laughs> he was standing up for. The ladies of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Heavily implied that the Malcolm McDowell character uh, cuts up whores. Yes. Yeah. Heavily implied. I was surprised at what they got away with, right? Yeah. Uh, they definitely, I think they slept together at one point. Like, or like, you know, there's like a scene like they wake up and it's like, great, well, we spent the night. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, I think it's implied of like, hey, when you come back, there will be some, uh, some sex. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you come back from this uh, dirigible adventure, there uh, there's going to be some sex, buddy. That's right. Uh, just don't just turn your, the side of your face that's not melty. Yeah. Although she does, I, I thought it was really sweet. She goes out of her way to like she gives him a peck before he you know before Jonah Hex you know rushes into storm. Yeah. The you know the the blimp cave. Yeah. As on I'm on the scarry it. side of the face too. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was a really like a, a sweet choice and like a really cool moment. All the dialogue was really cool. The way it was written felt yeah. like the right kind of western pulpy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the 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 choice, the cast choice. We were just looking at it before the we started recording of uh, Jonah Hex, uh, the actual dude that what played him doesn't ring a bell name-wise. Bill McKinnon, McKinnon, I think is his name. Yeah. But um, 
you know, immensely prolific character actor. He's been in like over a hundred movies. Just passed away uh, at a, the ripe old age, of eighty, um, but was. Um, did not realize it because I mean, we you, you scroll on IMD backwards, so you're like, oh my god, he was in you know this and this and basically every like you know he was in Back to the Future three and uh, he was City in... Slickers two exactly a lot of westerny stuff yeah and like six Clint Eastwood movies, but the his big break was as the guy in Deliverance who's like, now let's you just drop them pants. That's him playing Jonah. That's Hex. Jonah Hex. That's terrifying. Yeah. I feel like there are a couple times where I'll realize a voice actor plays an awful scumbag in a movie. Like um, Tom Levine, uh, who plays Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, is also the voice of Sinestro in in the DC animated universe. And so when you listen to him uh, in the cartoon, it's kind of his, you know, his voice is, this is the normal version of his voice. He's not kind of putting anything on, but... Then you just hear in your head, like, put the fucking lotion in the basket, and, like, imagining his pubes, basically, as he does his mangina dance routine. Audible pubes. Audible pubes. I was... This is (laughs) horror. Great. Uh, I'm about to admit that last night, hanging out with a couple friends, we talked about how funny the sound of pubes are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. A slight rustle of pubes should be recorded. Exactly. It's like like a summer night. Yeah. There's something crackly and weird. Anyway... Uh, moving away from pubes and Tom Levine, but it is weird to like hear a a kids show character, a hero, or even just a you know a villain, and you find out they're this like awful movie or filmic character. It's like I can't separate it now. Whenever yeah. I now whenever I watch Showdown, I'm going to think of the scene from Deliverance that I have not seen. <laughs> I've, I have not seen Deliverance. I know what happens in it. I guess I've seen that clip, and that's all I need. Yeah. Well, it's a, yeah. I guess it's make kind of the whole point of the show, right? It was just like you're getting like the kid version of what turns out to be portals to a very you know dark world of crime and vengeance. Well, I'm sure they were a huge you know like the guys making the show were huge fans of these films and television shows. Like uh, this was actually the last role. The woman who plays oh let me see the lady of the night. Let's what, what have we called her? Let's give her her real name. It was barmaid is that really what her name was Mm. i'm looking it up this is on the dcau wikia so i don't know if that's her official name elizabeth montgomery who uh this she played samantha on bewitched yes and this was her last role before she passed away i did not realize that yeah oh yeah no she uh, listed as barmaid yeah that's that's pretty offensive (laughs) everybody every man has a name and she's barmaid well that could be uh like a like a finnish name (laughs) barmaid no hey oh barmaid (laughs) hey barmaid i don't uh there are actually a lot of cool actors in this uh malcolm mcdowell known from uh yeah well the dc animated universe he plays metallo but uh, oh, he also okay. is in A Clockwork Orange, of yeah. course, and, and many other Yeah, Time films. After Time. Yes, Great of course. Movie. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Wing Commander 3. He plays uh, Arcady Duval. Yeah. And he is, he's the villain of this episode. He's so good. He's such a good voice actor. I love the quality of his voice. Yeah, he's incredible. He, he um, just dripping with with menace and contempt. Yeah. yeah, he's just a real bastard in this. He's great. Oh yeah, and I, I you know, I was looking up. Uh, so, you know, he has that scar on his face, and he talks about how he was like an expert in fencing. Right. So I guess at the time, and maybe this is just my lack of knowledge about that era, uh, in like kind of high society circles, uh, it was looked upon as you know uh, a sign of wealth 
and power to be involved in fencing. So if you had a scar, it was kind of like an indication that you were upper status or elite. And I thought that was a really interesting detail. It was a dandy affectation. Yeah. So the fact that he had the scar, not only were you able to kind of recognize who he was in the end because of the scar on his face, but it was like rooted in some sort of historical fact, which... That's one of my favorite things in any in any fictitious universe when they kind of marry like a pseudo history into it. I love it. Yeah. They went to the trouble. They went to the trouble to look up generally when things happened. I guess like that like connecting of the railroads was oh, yeah. generally around when that was happening. Yeah, yeah. That's all that's all legit. Yeah. That was yeah. it felt like a nice little history lesson too. It's so cool. Yeah. That was I, I liked that part. Yeah. And then yeah, and there was and there was Patrick, you know, presiding over the beginning of this this gold, but you know, and he sounds like he sounds like he's reading a speech on the Senate floor. Like they didn't record it in a way like he's supposed to be talking to you know a big outdoor folk, but he's just reading it like a senator. It's fine. But what strikes me now that I think about it is that this is the man who is in charge <laughs> in our government of the notions of justice. He's the head of the Judicial Committee. I'm so glad. That he's a fan of Batman. He's a fan, he's a part of Batman the animated series. Yeah, it's it, it makes me sleep a little better at night knowing that these ideals of truth and justice, in some small way, are being adhered to or at least looked up to. It's absolutely nuts. It kind of makes sense in in hindsight, watching the episode now, knowing that he was an actual politician. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was like, why does this guy have such a heavily featured role? Like, it was a very long speech. Like, we yeah. got just kind of the normal, like, it just felt like a day in the life of this town for about a minute yeah. and a half. Like, it was much longer than you'd ever get. Yeah. It probably, even like, like Mayor Hamilton Hill in the Clock King episode barely introduced the Gotham train before it was attacked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... The, Michael Bell, who is a, a famous, wonderful voiceover actor, um, he he voiced Papa Smurf, and he was on Rugrats oh, as yeah. you know Chucky e. Finster's parents, and 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 you know Stu, or I, he was one of them. But like he he's like a legendary voice actor. Um, he has a smaller part in this episode than a guy who's not a voice actor. Like a legendary, fantastic voice actor is play, playing like airship captain. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I think his line of dialogue was like, Ah! Oh no! Hey! Oh shit! My blimp! My blimp! Hey! Ah, Katie, what you doing? Oh, watch out for the spooky guy! I think that's how it went. I think that's exactly how he sounded. Yeah. It's been a while. I watched it last night, but it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. while. Yeah. Uh, it's been a sleep. Yeah. Fair enough. How cool was the attack on the town? I thought that was like a huge epic set piece for the show. Yeah, it was awesome. I couldn't believe like the detail that was going into like, and just the fluidity of like the sword fight of like this is like animated TV pre-computers for the most part. Like yeah, and it looks better. People worked on this stuff. This people did work on this stuff. God bless them. God bless them. They worked on it. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Yeah, the way it's boarded, the way it's directed, uh, it, tr- it really shines. Like the animation's wonderful. Yeah. Everything, every part of it, some of the, the shots were like very, I want to say they, they were very stylized. Uh, there were some really cool, I remember there was one shot of like seeing like the bottom of people's legs and you were like seeing people approach like between, you know, like in the negative space between their legs. I That's thought that right. was really cool. Yeah, they had some really stylized western. They even set it up with the title card. They had yeah. the showdown with the saloon doors. So it was like, it's going to be a western tale. Oh, you're in for a western tale. <laughs> There's some harmonica, you know, every now and then. Yeah. 
Now, I, I think The Forgotten was another episode that was kind of westerny. Uh, it was like Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> it's a crazy episode. He loses, he gets hit in the head, I think, and then something happens to him where he loses his memory and he gets scooped up with a bunch of homeless people and forced to work in a, like an internment camp by a big, fat, horrible man. Oh, wow. It's like the plot of Pinocchio. Like a boss hog. <laughs> Not boss hog. Yeah, it's, it's the plot of Pinocchio, basically, <laughs> but with Batman, who has white hair. Uh, <laughs> he lives inside a whale. Yep. <laughs> uh, Geppetto is his daddy. Yep. And he has a little cat and a fish. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the blue fairy uh, turns him into a real boy. <laughs> That's right. Bring back my parents, please. <laughs> I don't care about being a real boy. He's a bat that wants to be a man. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, yeah, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, what else about this episode? I really Raish, what it's cool to see him. He was wearing sporting the monocle and the top hat. Yeah. The many outfits of Raish Al Ghul. Yeah. Well, David Warner was a remarkable actor and a voice actor. And I remember at at that time I knew him best from Oh, from Tron. And then also, yeah. he was the head uh, Klingon in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Interesting. Yeah. You're you're a Warner head. I guess a I Warner get. brother. <laughs> you know what it was it was by virtue of uh, growing up in the '80s and my my little brother and I we were just you know we would just have a copy of the Leonard Malton you know movie guide and we would just read it cover to cover and just you know have a sense of like well this person was in this movie and this person was in this we just knew all this stuff. David Warner my introduction to him was through this show okay. but then he was also in Scream Two. Oh yeah, he plays the theater teacher. That's right. Uh, that there's one scene, uh, and you know, that he just is like, you need to like really be part of, you know, like feel the truth of this, like use whatever you have. And, the, and I was like, wait, was that Rachel Gould talking to what's her name from Scream? <laughs> oh my God, it is. <laughs> wait, I gotta see. Is he still with us? This he is... is. He is still alive. Uh, I have reached out to him. He did not reply. Oh, okay. Uh, I would love to get David Warner on the podcast. So, if any of you yeah, know oh, him, yeah. you Warner, you Warner brothers and Warner sisters, uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, please <laughs> go out of your way to let him know that I'd love him on the podcast. Yeah. He's, I believe, he just celebrated his birthday recently. Yeah, Sometime within the last couple months, he's. He's, he's up there. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday, David. Happy belated. Sorry we couldn't do it on the actual day. We'd love to hear your dulcet tones. Oh, he has such a great voice. Yeah, so I mean, good. I would imitate it uh, all the time when I was playing with my action figures. <laughs> they didn't have a good Raish figure for a while. They had, like, some armored version of him. Like, he has the... Ma- he In the Demon's Quest episode, he shows up with, like, a really cool kind of mask uh yeah. it looks almost like a, an anubisy kind of mask but he's he uh, he is he's wearing like a little more of like an elegant arabian knights kind of outfit uh but the action figure was like an armored version of that with the mask yeah. so it was like i remember as a kid i was like i just want him in like the green suit and then i think like as the line was dying they made it as like a four pack like talia and rachel ghoul and uh. fancy cape <laughs> yeah i and i think too i'm remembering back like sort of the action figure conventions of the time is that you had to like if you had these these characters they were like uh they they look pretty or or something they just had to be so you had to give them some action or or at least style them in a way that it's like well they were terrified that you wouldn't play with them oh yeah they wouldn't sell he's so, a man in a suit yeah exactly. yeah like lex luthor the lex luthor figure was just has kryptonite armor that never appeared in the show yeah exactly he just like looked like a robot or something yeah yeah well, nowadays, people are dumb enough to spend their money on anything. 
including yours truly. <laughs> I'm through. Actually, DC Collectibles, who they're making the new Batman action figures. Uh, a plug for them because it's great. Uh, they just revealed that they're doing a, a Demon's Quest specific Rachel Ghoul, so like that kind of Arabian Nightsy thing oh, cool. with uh, his. Rachel, cool. Uh, with <laughs> I see mask. what you did there. Yeah, I know. We all did, and everybody's groaning unanimously. <laughs> but it looks cool. I want the classic Rach as well. I want everything from that this line. They look so good. Yeah, they're yeah. like basically the perfect recreations of the characters. They're releasing Etrigan the Demon. Okay, I don't know if you ever got that deep into DC Comics. I uh, fairly, yeah. I'm, I'm aware. Jason I Blood. <laughs> His last name was Blood. Yeah. Of course he's going to be possessed by the demon Etrigan. Yeah. Lobo. Lobo. He Ooh. was he was mature. He was edgy. Yeah, I, I was surprised yeah. that they brought Lobo into the Superman animated show. They, oh, did they? They did it, yeah. He's voiced by Brad Garrett. He's kind of perfect. <laughs> ah, Lobo awesome. shows up. I, I'm trying to think. He There's the main man, part one and two, and it's like a great... Great two-parter where Superman basically gets kidnapped by the Collector. Yeah. And he's like, the last Kryptonian will be part of my museum. And Lobo's also kidnapped. Yeah. And so Superman and Lobo have to like begrudgingly team up huh. to you know, fight this you know, Collector yeah. of live you know, specimens. And then I think Lobo shows up in Justice League. Basically, oh, there's yeah. a two-parter called Hereafter where Superman supposedly dies, but it turns out he was just brought to another time or, or dimension via Vandal Savage, or, or he meets Vandal Savage. I think it's the way future. It is a time travel thing. Yeah. But in the present, Lobo shows up to join the Justice League and take his spot, and they're like, we don't want you. <laughs> nice. So this is now the part of the show where your, your guest uh, asks you uh, a series of questions about characters that may have translated to animated from you know his half-remembered uh, uh, reveries of the early 90s. Is Deathstroke the Terminator in any of these? Oh, so wait, is Deathstroke... I'm thinking of Deadshot. Oh, yeah. Deathstroke is a Teen Titans villain? Maybe. He had He's, his own title for a while. Is he, he the blue and orange guy? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't think that Deathstroke shows up in the DC animated universe. I think in Teen Titans, which is like a separate continuity, he's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he doesn't show up in this one. Okay. If I'm thinking of the correct character. I don't yeah. know, guys. Sorry. You know Did- I'm not fully up on my <laughs> comics. Did Batman ever team up with the Outsiders? I do not believe. Wait, well, who, who are the Outsiders? I, know, so- I was about to say no, and then I... Ugh, people people are going to send me emails saying, like, you don't deserve to have a podcast if you don't know who the outsiders are. And I'll say, you are correct, but here we are and you're listening to it. Uh, who are the outsiders? Are they... As I remember, they were just, like, some dudes from the 80s that were just, like, solving crimes with Batman for a while. I'm looking it up. Okay, DC Comics, the outsiders. This is fun for everybody. It was, like, C. Thomas Howell, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, Rob Lowe. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? The Amazing Ronnie, Billy, Doc Scary, Harry Larry, <laughs> Lizard Johnny, and Mighty Mary. Yeah. The what? This looks amazing. No, I, d- I don't know very much about The Outsider. Originally yeah. to be called Freaks, they debuted in First Issue Special number 10. Oh, it was a Joe Simon and Jerry Grandinetti creation. Joe Simon did a lot with Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think they ever appeared. Okay, that's too bad. Uh, there were a lot of cool... Like, Jonah Hex actually did appear... 
again in Justice League Unlimited, I believe, no or the Once in Future thing. It was a two-part time travel episode. Nice. And so... Uh, That's when they met up with Doc Brown and Marty? Yep, yep. yep. They had that flying magical steampunk train, and Christopher Lloyd had his first on-screen kiss in that movie. Yeah. Double back again. <laughs> the ZZ Top song. Uh, should we just end this episode by... Uh, I'll, I'll just put that in as the <laughs> just way... Just throw it in. It's... That's how I'll lead everybody out, uh, with a Back to the Future 3 song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Hex looked older, but it was supposed to take place before this episode uh, from the animated series. And I think it was like John Stewart, Green Lantern, uh, I think Batman, and I'm not sure if Superman was a part of it. I think maybe Martian Manhunter. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the three of them are like, they basically mask as, masquerade as cowboys and team up with like Batlash and Jonah Hex and like all these weird Western tales villains, uh, heroes, I mean. Yeah. Uh, and they, yeah, I think they're fighting, you know, a time travel, like Kronos, a time traveling villain. It's great. Yeah. And then the second episode, they cross over with Batman Beyond, which is real cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just talking at you at this point. That's I'm fine. Like, what about this episode? <laughs> what about this one? <laughs> what were your other takeaways from rewatching or watching it for the first time? Well, rewatching the series, because I hadn't seen the show in a while, I was struck just generally by how well done the damn thing is. It's, it's, beautiful show and and very cleverly written and you mentioned the detail like that just that attention to detail in there the nice history lesson um all that was was really cool and i forgot just sort of the level of quality that this series had yeah and then this episode in particular i didn't realize it was going to be such a weird little frame tale and i mm-hmm. love that it was i love western so i'm glad we and it was a steampunk western right everything about it is cool yeah. it's just cool and you had these amazing actors and you have this you know amazing connection to the highest levels of american government and the ideals of truth and justice <laughs> yeah they should certainly shown through in his performance <laughs> well maybe not so much but um uh, all that stuff would just combine for a, just a, an odd combination of things that i was just so taken by i was like what this has to i have to talk about this i have to i just have to bear witness it, it's amazing i mean rachel ghoul admits that he fucked around that's why i love it <laughs> you think i haven't sired 400 million babies yeah. i think in the demon's quest this is real nerdy he says he doesn't have any children but he probably forgot you know like if you if you've been alive for 600 years yeah and you've subjected yourself to an insanity drug by dipping yourself in a Lazarus pit, mm-hmm. you might forget a couple of children now and then and be like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. There was that time in Cabo. Oh, yes. Uh, I was in Cabo and I fooled around with a lovely senorita. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Raish, you sound so different now. <laughs> I really did love there also every Ra's al Ghul is the only guy who can kind of get away with be defeating Batman like he knows his identity he knows he's Bruce Wayne he they kind of just made an agreement at the end almost every Ra's yeah. episode ends in Batman essentially losing or you know hitting a stalemate yeah well uh, this was essentially like this is this we, we're having a private family moment here would you mind yeah <laughs> and and like, he was oh, like all right. I, yeah, Batman's like, I, I understand family. <laughs> to each their own, but I understand family. The need. Still, though, kind of fucked up what you did to your own son. And I gotta go, detective. <laughs> Ubu. <laughs> well, he, he's like, we'll spar another day or something. And it's like, yeah. well, all right. But that's how it ends. It just ends with Ra's al Ghul wheeling his elderly son into a plane 
yeah. and leaving, and Batman and Robin just kind of standing there. Yeah. After he had done 50 years hard labor in some weird western prison. Yeah. I mean, Avatar, another Rachel Ghoul episode, ends with Raish, like, basically making Batman walk home in the desert and throwing, and Talia throws him a can of, like, some camel bag of what? Camel bag. What is it? Uh, canteen of water. Oh, okay. I was saying camel back, but then I said camel bag, and then it sounded like a slur that was made up. You camel bag. That's a camel slur for sure. <laughs> you know, it's almost like a structure like an episode of Tales from the Crypt now that I think about it. It has just this horrific twist ending. We just needed uh, Arcady Duval. Elderly Arcady Duval is only like a year away and some green face paint from looking like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Give him some puns and have him intro it. <laughs> I want to see Arcady Duval's Tall Tales and Legends. Oh my God. <laughs> Greetings, bat fans. And. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's make it. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, let's do the unlicensed version. <laughs> yeah, just fan service all the way. Oh. For, for the, the three people who would be interested in that very specific combination of things. Make yourself known uh, at BTAS Podcast. I do this half the time. Nobody's ever tweeted anything related to what I'm asking them to tweet at the Twitter. I mean, they, they, they interact and like people say cool, nice things. And then also, we hate the characters. But <laughs> some people hate the characters. Some people love them. Sorry, guys. But uh, this, this in particular, I think, if we get enough people behind it to do, what is it, Arcady Duvall's Tales of... Well, I'm riffing on Shelley Duvall's Tall Tales and Legends, which was like a Showtime series in that the That was 80s. a real thing? It was a real thing. And she, you'd have like people... Like, and this is another thing. Like Batman, you get these amazing actors together, and you dress them in fucking bunny costumes, and you run them around, you know, like a theater set. That's my favorite thing, is like what these actors would do for a one-off anthology episode. Like, yeah. I feel like... Um, it's an easy ask. Amazing Stories did that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Or even earlier, like the 60s Batman show, getting to see really serious actors play insanely goofy villains is the best. Yeah, yeah. May the tradition never leave us. So say we all. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, in relation to the episode? Or, or, you know, get off your chest while we're sitting here? I love Batman. All right. You heard it here first. I love Batman. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Well, that was fun. Let's see where Dolores Dumples is on those numbers. 10,479. Oh, nice. Sounds like we're right near my number. 10,482. 10,481. 10,481 right here. Damn it. Hello, very old woman. Welcome to Rent-A-Vehicle. Would you like me to help you slowly? Or extra slowly. I'd like you to help me extra slowly. I'm very old, so it takes extra time for my brain to catch up to my ears. Great. Now, first things first, what kind of vehicle would you like? A car? A boat? An airplane? All right, well, sounds like I've got a ways to go yet again. So how about we move on to... Today's guest... Kevin Altieri. Kevin Altieri is one of the key creative forces behind the bulk of Batman the Animated Series. He worked as a writer, director, and storyboard artist on some of the very best episodes of the show. You can see his work on everything from Two-Face, Feet of Clay, Harlequinade, and The Clock King to most, if not all, of the Ra's al Ghul episodes, including Showdown. So, let's get to that interview. How are you doing? 
I'm fine. <laughs> I'm doing really good. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thanks. So, where to begin? You're such a huge part of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, your name is all <laughs> over the show. Like I, I've no, I've seen your name since I was a kid. Oh. Thanks. No, that's good to hear. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't know how what the proper response to that is, but I just threw it at you. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. I've, I've been in animation for a while. Yeah, I, how did uh, you get started in animation? Um, <laughs> It's kind of weird because um, in the 80s, the early 80s, um, after I starved for a few years out here in California from the East Coast, I uh, actually got into special effects. Because, you know, I grew up like a fat fanboy, hmm. you know, in, you know, in small town America, Connecticut. So you loved comics growing up? Oh, my God. Who were I'd, your guys? Who were your favorite I'd be dead characters? if it wasn't for comics. <laughs> um, probably biggest influences were like uh, Richard Corbin, um, Hal Foster, of course. You know, I mean, the great illustrators like Howard Pyle, N.C. Wyeth, uh my God, Mike Plug! I loved Mike Plug. Like I was mm. a huge fan of. I mean, if anyone sees my artwork, it's like Plug's got to be pretty obvious to them. <laughs> Plug, Corbin, Alex Toth. If if it wasn't for Johnny Quest, I don't know what I'd do. You know, I probably would have committed suicide at a young age. But it was like just being able to look forward to Johnny Quest when you're seven years old was an amazing thing. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, it is. And. uh yeah, the list goes on. <laughs> so mean, you came out here, uh, and you were yeah. working in special effects? Yeah. I was also, like, uh, I knew I was going to be an artist because when I was four years old, the school where I was going to go actually was showing a movie, and my dad took me there. And I didn't know what the hell it was, you know, but it was like, oh, this is the school I'm going to go to in a few months. This is going to be great. And this movie comes up, and there's, like, these guys, like, with sashes and swords. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. You know, and they're walking on this island. And then all of a sudden, this giant cyclops comes out. And I'm like, what the hell? We're talking Harryhausen? Yeah. <laughs> and that, like, changed my life. Because uh. the next day, I'm just sitting there drawing, just spontaneously just started drawing, like, you know, cyclops and dragons and sailors. And just, uh, you know, Harryhausen kind of changed my life. I feel like aspect. so many people I know have said the exact same thing. And yeah. Like my best friend growing up, who is he's like the official voice of this podcast, uh-huh. uh, loves Harryhausen. He's the one who introduced oh. me to Harryhausen as a kid. Yeah. No, and then that's another thing. It's like I, I when I came out here, one of the first jobs I got was uh, through a friend, Gene Rizzardi. He was a model maker on a movie called Megaforce. And he got me a storyboarding job with the art director, Tim Donahue, at Intervision. Mm-hmm. And I met Charlie Kyoto, who you probably know. Yeah, and he's he's actually down the street yeah. from here. They're, they're right in this neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, Steve and Charlie kind of like, you know, they're stop motion guys. And uh, through all of them, I got to know Dave Allen. I worked on a lot of like uh, those really cheap movies in the 80s. Like, Which ones? <laughs> well, Megaforce wasn't cheap, but it was kind of cheap. Uh-huh. I know people have claimed it as a guilty pleasure, <laughs> but I worked on Megaforce, a Dungeon Master with Dave Allen. Oh man, I love Dave Allen. That was a he's a great guy, and Robot Jocks. If, <laughs> my my other like I just keep saying like my best friend likes this, but like he loves Robot Jocks. There's a poster yeah. for Robot Jocks, by the way, in the edit bay <laughs> right awesome. now, just across from where we're recording right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I that's uh, I. That's about the time, actually, Robot Jocks was about the time that I got into animation. 
because I did, I actually, I never got to meet Harryhausen in a work environment, but Dave Allen was doing this movie called Force of the Trojans, mm-hmm. which is not a condom thing. It's, you know, it was about the end of the Trojan. It wasn't about a giant condom, just uh, a... <laughs> yeah, <Lincoln> exactly. <laughs> Stop motion animation condom, <laughs> running rampant. Oh, no, that'd be no. tough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was... Uh, it was about uh, the Trojan War, and it's actually had a sequence with the Trojan horse. It had uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It had Cillian, Charybdis. Oh, man. And I got to storyboard all these sequences, and at the very last minute, they ended up not making it. No. Harryhausen retired, and they just didn't make the movie, and it's like... But I was working with Dave Allen, and the next thing I worked on with him was Robot Jocks. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually storyboarded, if you see Robot Jocks, the entire opening sequence, which is the opening before the opening credits, where you're in, like, Alaska and they're the Russian robot. And that's literally just me and Dave Allen, you know. (laughs) Like, I, I designed all the robots and... He did all the stop motion effects, and you know I designed the sets and stuff, and That's he so built cool. them. Yeah, and that, that was yeah that was a it's actually a really great loss that that guy's not around anymore. How did you guys meet? Um, through friends, I think it was actually through Charlie. It might have been, or um, another guy, another stop motion guy, uh, Terry Howe. I think he was another guy. Just one, of, you know, it was just one of those things where they said, "Hey, Dave Allen needs an artist for such and such." And you just got, you know, you're like, great, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. No. D- yeah. Dave Allen. I was a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm there. And, and Dave so would always you... tell me, you have to charge more money for these drawings. And I'm saying, but, but I really enjoy doing this. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there is that point in your career, especially when you start, you're like, I don't want to lose this really cool thing I have. So you're yeah. willing to do more and not <laughs> mm-hmm. say anything about it. And then there's a point where you're like, okay, I have to learn to say no a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, but then that leads to animation because I... Charlie Band Productions, which I worked on a bunch of their stuff, just doing boards and that, and um, for Canon films too, like Exterminator Two. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Robert Ginty movie. That was another one. I just did a ton of. They had all these stunts in it, so they needed boards for all the stunts. And uh, I was kind of working on that project, and uh, Robot Jocks was on hold while they're getting money together and all that. And uh, someone who was doing effects actually said, hey, there's this new company doing, uh, you know, doing cartoons. And they're on Ventura Boulevard over in uh, Studio City. And I'm like, who are they? And they're Deke. And I said, those are the guys doing Inspector Gadget, huh? Yeah. Because another thing about me is, like, where would I be without not just Johnny Quest, but, you know, Astro Boy, Marine Boy, Speed Racer, especially eighth man. Like I was a nut for a Japanese animation back then. Yeah. And I had all these film books of Miyazaki back then. You couldn't see Miyazaki. I couldn't read Japanese. I didn't know his name. I just picked up these film books at a Japanese bookstore and was just like, Oh my God, this guy is like the best person ever. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I imagine you'd have to like really seek it out at that point. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. And you couldn't, at that point, you couldn't even find VHS, you know, <laughs> you know, or much less go to a movie So theater. you're just like looking at stills in books. Yeah. And I, and I actually um, got storyboard books that they published by Miyazaki, which um, were pretty easy to come by because I think people just thought it's like, oh, it's loose drawing, who cares? Mm-hmm. But not me. 
And so you kind of absorbed those and got into animation? Yeah. No, it's I, I wanted to, I always wanted to get into animation. That was just another thing. It's like special effects, you know, science fiction, horror movies, you know, monster makeup. You know, I, I love it all. You're speaking and, my language. And comics. <laughs> it's like, and then when you're doing comics, you're doing all of that. You know, so I was really into all of that stuff. What was your first animation job? Uh, kid video. I literally had storyboards for live action films. And I went to the address that I was told about on Ventura Boulevard. It was just a storefront. Mm-hmm. The door was open because it was hotter than hell. Yeah, <laughs> that is the valley. Yep. And Still I, is. I poked my head in the door and it's like there's no one in there except for some guys around a desk. And it was like, I think it was Rudy Zamora and Richard Rainus, I think. And I go, hey, I heard you guys are hiring. They're like, yeah, we are. Um, I got a portfolio with me. And it's like, yeah, let's take a look, you know. And I go over and start talking to him. And Rudy goes, uh, so you can start now? And I'm like, can I wait till the morning? You know, it's like, can I at least go home first and kind of wash up or something? That's great. <laughs> yeah. And um, and actually, I, I I was kind of fortunate that it's like Deke was a Japanese-French company that actually set up uh, animation in America to get the American market, which they did. They got a ton of them. And uh, at that time, not being union was an asset to me because I couldn't get in the union at that time because, you know, there's you have to have a job right. in the union or a union job or have an offer. Or graduate from CalArts or whatever to, you know, to get into the yeah. union at that time. So I got to do work in animation and I got to work with a lot of really good Japanese directors and artists who taught me a lot, That's a amazing. whole lot. So how did you, how did that transition to working on Batman? Um, well, it was, uh. <laughs> flash forward <laughs> what did I do it's like Deke like I worked from being a storyboard artist and I the great thing about about Deke was we had so few people who could really do the work and there was so much to be done that I was working on shows like real Ghostbusters cops uh my god you know the list goes on yeah I mean if you look at the 80s crap yeah. cartoons Jason the Wheeled Warriors Mask Force. Uh-huh. I basically everything I watched. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like Jason the Wheeled Warriors. I remember that me and Mike Maliani actually stayed up all night and we actually did like the whole show almost overnight. And and I still can't even think about how that was possible. I feel like your did. brain is mush at the end of that. Yeah. And I and I met a lot of great people who ended up on Batman. Dan Reba uh-huh. was over there at D. The Deke. director on Batman. Mm-hmm. But um Dan actually came over because he was working at TMS, and when I started at Batman, I gave him a phone call because I heard TMS like shut down production, and it's like I was going to Bruce, you know, it's like oh this guy, you know that guy, it's like Richie Chavez, I think was another one that was from TMS that we worked with. Okay, on Alf and Alf Tales, me and Dan actually at <laughs> Deke, I remember many times like on uh, Starcom was the show. I remember me and Dan like doing boards on that and like I was the board supervisor which meant that I got to do a good chunk of the boards myself which means you know we're correcting bad boards and we'd be there like late at night and I'd just be doing like pencil drawing and then Dan would take it and ink it and 
he did he do a drawing and I'd ink it and we're just like throwing these you know doing these storyboards back and forth. Do you feel like you got more like because you're a director as well as board artist mm-hmm. uh, on the animated series and you were a writer on the episode uh, yeah. that we're going to talk about? But do you feel like doing so much of it early on is kind of what like gave you the opportunity to do that later? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Um, I mean, by the time I was on Batman, I, I what was the last job I was doing comics for TSR? But I think the last animation job I had was. Disney feature. I was in development on Lion King and Treasure Planet. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I, I was kind of, I was kind of burnt out at like not getting my vision through, sort of thing. And then I heard that they were. I think Brad Rader was going to be working on Batman, who I'd worked with another guy from Deke, mm-hmm. and he told me to, hey, you want to talk to these guys? You know, because I, I'm like such a comic book geek, you know that you know and brad is too was that like the dream job (laughs) to do it cool the big fear of everyone at that time coming in is like oh just what we need another goofy batman right right and i'm such a fanboy and most of the guys on the show are such fanboys that we're like yeah yeah right of course when i interviewed with bruce and eric and they show me that that short film Right, like the you initial test that was... It's like, oh my God, they're doing Fleischer Superman. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm in, I'm in, please, I'm in. You know, please, whatever, you know. It's like, I'd almost pay them at that point. How did that interview go? What was it like sitting down for that? Um, well, I knew Bruce from before, not really well, but he worked at uh, Deke too, so I knew him. He was, um, he worked on Cops briefly, but I think his main thing was, I think he worked with John Chris Falusi. Mm-hmm. So I knew Bruce just a little bit. So that was kind of the entree there. So, you know, he's and, – and I think at first to do an action-adventure show at that time, a serious one, mm-hmm. not that it's, you know, serious, you know, it, it it's – but for that period, there wasn't anyone doing action-adventure. DuckTales was action-adventure at that yeah, time. Yeah, but much more comedy too, you know, like thrown yeah. in the mix. But Bat- I mean, Batman has its comedy. It's it not does. like so self-serious, which is what I love about it. Yeah, is that it like rides that line. Yeah, I-, I think that Bruce was having trouble just finding people at that time that could draw. Because you know he was on Tiny Toons, and that guy. I mean, he could draw. You know, he could draw like action adventure, like no one's business. Yeah, but he was the Tiny Toons guy for them, for Warner Brothers. You know, and. um and Eric, too, you know, he's like, Eric was like, you know, this great painter, you know, he's like, just, it's like these guys, but they were doing like the, even, yeah, even Tiny Toons was almost uh, like a Muppet Babies kind of thing when, you know, when it started. But mm-hmm. then, of course, it became like that really great cartoon that it became. Oh, yeah. You know. So. I mean, I feel like we got such good, so many, I mean, for me, it, like, those were the core cartoons I grew up on, those Warner Brothers, oh. you know, Tiny Toons, and then, you know, eventually, like, <laughs> Animaniacs and Freakazoid and yeah. that kind of stuff. And and it wasn't like, in the, and when I walked in, you know, it was like, it's Ann Lighting, another person from Deke, the production manager, She, I knew her. Great, great lady, you know. Uh, 
you know, it's like I, I actually I miss working with everyone. <laughs> well, it just seemed like it was such a good group of people. Like, it, it, talking it was. to more people, they're like, oh, it felt like a family, and it was yeah. it was a, a lo- around for so long, like longer yeah. than most other shows. It feels like. And at, at first, it was kind of like you walk in, and it's just kind of like a corridor because I think they converted like law offices. Hmm. It wasn't an animation studio per se. So it, it was just a, it was just a space that they had to do Batman in. And what was had... the first episode that you worked on? Oh, on Leather Wings, the pilot. Oh, man. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we got in, it's like, and um, they had the script by Mitch Bryan. I read that, and I go, oh, my God. It's, it's got, like, a werewolf transformation in it. It's like, this is amazing. Yeah, you got to deal with superheroes, monsters, and in a cool way immediately. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, for me, um, growing up, I mean, I loved... When I was a little kid, it was the Adam West era, mm-hmm. which is great. And Carmen Infantino, you know, all these, all the guys at D, or D, DC were doing like, you know, the Zap Pow era. Mm-hmm. And then came Neil Adams. And Neil Adams was just so cool. And it wasn't just his drawing. It was just how cool he made Batman and how cool he made Bruce Wayne. He just just did something that uh, no one else had done. And the characters that he came up with with Denny O'Neill, or was it Frank Robbins? I can't remember, but I think Frank Robbins came up with Man-Bat, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's just like Man-Bat. You know, I go like, you know, this is my Batman. (laughs) You know? Yeah. This is my Batman. And to get to do it immediately. So you directed the very first episode. Yeah. Uh, What was that like? Was it a different process to begin with? Um, I imagine you're learning on the job. Everybody is because nobody's done it yet. No, it's like we all uh, dove in and it was hard for some people. Um, It was very hard because it was a, you know, it's like because Bruce really had a vision of how he wanted it. Eric had a vision how he wanted it. And it's like everyone's and I, of course, had mine, you know, were our own ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. And we all kind of came together pretty good. And there was like a united front amongst everyone to, you know, this is going to be the cool Batman. You know, this we're just going to do this right. And there are other people who had trouble drawing like that, you know? Yeah. Bruce's uh, style at the time, you know, was not easy for everyone to do, you know? Well, you even see the the shows like really after the first like twenty or so episodes starts to like shift a little bit. It feels like a little bit. I guess it feels like a little less less rubbery. Yeah. The farther you get. Uh, but, yeah, and it's all yeah, and it's also the animation studios overseas. Yeah, of course. You know the Japanese studios were really good at it, but then you'd have studios like Sunrise that had trouble because they would ship it to China. All right. And they had a hard time. Korean studios would catch on, you know, like this episode is pretty well animated. Well, yeah, let's talk about Showdown. (laughs) This episode is amazing. Uh, This is like around the, this is later, near the end of the the first kind of Batman, the animated series, New Batman Adventures, or not New Batman Adventures, uh, Adventures of Batman and Robin Run. Um, So it's right before we, the the style sort of changed drastically. Yes. uh, So it's a Ra's al Ghul episode. Woo-hoo. You yeah. are the man who has directed, <laughs> I think, every episode of Ra- with Ra's al Ghul. In that, in those seasons, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I'll say a little more. Like on, on, on Leather Wings. Um, the thing about that show was, 
even the layouts and stuff were done by us. You know, um, we had a layout crew, but not everyone was getting the style. So when Bruce didn't like something, he'd just like go here, you know, he'd just throw these uh, layouts at us. And we luckily had a period at the very beginning where they were trying to get the scripts together right before Alan Burnett, I think showed up Mm -hmm. and Alan Burnett really, you know, I mean, he, I mean, that's the first episode that he wrote was uh, Two-Face. And I just went, oh, my God, this is like the best script I've ever read. And you directed Two-Face, parts yes. one and two. Yes. Did you board it as well? Oh, a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know? it's great. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I'll jump in and board even, you know, when like that, the, the climax, the last scene with the revelation. Um, I actually think that was the fastest board I've ever done. That was done about 15 minutes. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> Bruce comes in the office and goes like, looks at it and he goes, here, give me that. And he takes it and he comes back like in no time flat. And he had like rendered the whole revelation, you know, that pan down clay, fa- yeah. uh, clay face, um, two faces face. Yeah. You know, beautiful. I think he used stipple board or something. I mean, on it's it one of the most beautiful shots in the whole series. I yeah. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, but and and uh, and uh, yeah, we ended up doing like I took you know Kurt Gaeta and me, Brad Rader, Dan. Um, we actually did a lot of the layouts ourselves, and so did Bruce. So you he know? was more hands-on earlier on, or would you say throughout the entire show? Well, at the, for the pilot, certainly. Uh huh. Because I mean, the pilot in the first couple of seasons, I think he he had to be more hands-on. Because uh, how else is that style going to come through? Right, you have to kind of set the precedent so other people can take over at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he was he was he was just he was one of the guys. Like he'd jump in and it's like just when you thought you did like a really great drawing. Hey Bruce, what do you think? And you go, give me that. And then he he just bang out something. You go, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you were able to adapt to knowing what he wanted by later oh, in the series? Much yeah, better. Yeah. No, no. Like I like. Well, that's. Uh, yeah, especially like by the time of showdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like me, uh, like showdown happened mainly because of a conversation that we we're having after record. Yeah. So yeah, tell me how it got started because you're credited as yeah the writer, a one of the contributing one writers, of the writers, as as well as the board artist and director of this episode. So I yeah. feel like you're heavily involved in showdown. Yeah. <laughs> and I also timed the thing. Oh man, <laughs> with, you know, with a stopwatch. So, but, but the directors, all the directors did all their timing on uh, the first few seasons for sure. That's crazy. It's so much. <laughs> yeah, but but it was uh, Warner Brothers. I mean, again, I miss Gene McCurdy, you know, Gene McCurdy with Gene McCurdy and Tom Ruger, you know, because uh, the executive producers mm-hmm. and uh, and Tim Sarnoff, although Tim Sarnoff was, you know, more they um, kind of backed up all the good. If you had a good creative decision. It got backed up, you know. That's you know, so great to have that support from that end. Yeah, and that helped a whole lot. But th- we were at one recording, and um, I can't remember what show it was that we had just done, but it was we were all there together. I think we all drove over together, me, um, Paul, and uh, Bruce. And so it, we just had, like, one of those really great sessions, you know. I mean, you know, uh, Andrea... It's so good. So, she was so, those those recordings were so much fun to go to. I mean, you're you're really focused on getting the show done, so you're you're sitting there lending your ear and really listening and making sure that 
you know, the voice is doing what needs to be done, you know, the, the performance is correct, or you're recording the performance in your brain to relate to storyboard artists later, or even designers, whoever. And, uh, man, it's like then, but then you have the cast and you have like, I, I miss Bob Hastings. Bob Hastings is Gordon as it, much uh, as, you know, Conroy's Batman yeah. to me. Yeah, it's like I'd come in and it's like in Bob Hastings, like, hey, kid, how's it going? You're like, how's your dad doing? You know, you know, he he just just a good guy. <laughs> yeah, just be like your uncle, man. And and he'd say, "Hey, did you see No Time for Sergeants?" You know that it was on. You know it was on PBS the other night. <laughs> the stage play. Did you see me? And I'm like, "Yeah, I, actually, I did." You know, it was like stuff like that would happen all the time. That's awesome. Yeah, and well, anyway, so we had one of those things, and we're all just walk out, and I think it was Paul that went and said, "Okay, so what comic book character would you want to do?" You know, like outside of the norm. Outside so it's just, you know, like a conversation where you guys yeah. are just having We're fun. just going like, okay, what can we do that's not like in the Batman world? What characters are there? And it's like, I'm a big, another guy, Russ Heath, Joe Kubert, you know. I'm like Sergeant Rock, you know, Enemy Ace, you know, Jonah Hex. Hmm. Hey, Jonah Hex! <laughs> You know, I, well, don't know. I don't think anybody would have ever expected that Jonah Hex no. would show up. I mean, they would have thought of any more major DC character first. No. no. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's like the Dial H for Hero, Hawkman, all these names came up. You know, the Demon, another giant favorite of all yeah, of Yeah, well, eventually <laughs> you know? it happened. I would love to see Dial H for Hero <laughs> yeah. in the Batman universe. Yeah. No, but then, and then, you know, and then the conversation just kept going on where we just. We're throwing ideas back and forth, you know. And uh, another thing is uh, both Bruce and I were reading uh, the George MacDonald Frazier books, the Flashman novels. What are, I, I'm not familiar with them. <gasps> oh, just the best written books ever written. Really? What are well, they? Well, <laughs> the Flashman books. In the 70s, there was a movie, um, Royal Flash, that was actually an adaptation of one of them. Okay. George MacDonald Frazier wrote the screenplays for uh, The Three and Four Musketeers. Um, he was like a consultant, wrote the screenplay for The Great Race. Okay. He's just like that Edwardian, Victorian, you know, era historian, writer, fiction. And Flashman was this ne'er-do-well character who comes off as a hero, but actually he's just an absolute scoundrel. But he's at all these key points in Victorian history. And like he's in the first Afghan war, he's in, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Indian mutiny, you know, he's in China during the, you know, the, uh, one of, well, actually the boxer rebellion he was in too. The guy's just all over the place and just like this great swashbuckling character. Yeah. Who's an absolute coward and, uh, just great books, just well-written, beautiful. George McDonald Frazier is a great writer. And Bruce and I would talk about them all the time, you know, because Bruce was another fan of those. Yeah. And then at this conversation, you know, Bruce and I go like, and, you know, and then we said, oh, Rachel Ghoul, he's been through history, so he can be the tie-in. It's such a wonderful way of right? tying it in there. I mean, it was awesome. And then almost at the same time, if I remember correctly, Bruce and I go, and Flashman is his son. And, That's uh, good. So Arcadia is based mm -hmm. off of Flashman? Yeah. Which leads to the voice casting because you we had uh, from the previous stuff Andrea like cast um, David Warner 
Yeah, who's excellent. Brilliant. As Raish. Fantastic. Fantastic. Because we were going like Christopher Lee, you know, um, Patrick Stewart, whoever. All of them would have been great. Yep. <laughs> and then, but she goes, how about David Warner? And we go, yeah. <laughs> that, he yeah. has such a good quality mm-hmm. to his voice. No. And, uh, and then we go, Malcolm McDowell played Flashman in Royal Flash. In the 70s. Oh, that's so cool. So and, you got to have him basically play the animated version of it. Yeah. And uh, Bruce's character design of Arcady Duvall actually is like a... Like, Malcolm McDowell doesn't look like Flashman the way he's described in the books. But Arcady Duvall does look exactly like Flashman. Of course, the cartoon version, but Sure. Still, yeah. I mean, the voice cast in this one's amazing. I mean, Bill every McKinney. Scene, yeah. Oh my God! What a what a I mean, like he's, yeah, he's so scary. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like, but he's in the thing about Jonah Hex is, and especially in this this version, is that he's such a good guy. Yeah, you know, but Bill McKinney, yeah, it's like because I she goes Bill McKinney, I'm go like, wait, he's not the guy from Deliverance. Yeah, and it's like, but then I go, oh no, but he's also in uh, Outlaw Josie Wales. Yeah, he has a lot of like western work. Yeah, and he and he's also in uh Judge Roy Bean. And then I and then you go like, "Oh yeah, Bill McKinney." It's like, "No, he has a fantastic voice. Gravelly, nice." Yeah, nice. there's something very, you know, I don't know, endearing about Jonah Hex and especially because of the voice work like that. He he wasn't like a gruff mean guy, like he was no. he, he's very that paired with his, you know, design. It's just it's great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's got the old two-face eye. Yeah, no, it's like, wait, and Mike Gogan, I think, storyboarded the sequence, and it's like one of the things that got cut out didn't get through BS&P, but it's like, damn, I wish I had that recording. Um, but I think Joe Lansdale wrote the script. He had this one line in it that didn't get through. It's like where they capture Jonah Hex and throw him in the cell. And then as the guard slams the gate shut, he goes, sweet dreams, Hex. And then Hex goes, hope you don't mind me dreaming about your mother. <laughs> it's like, that's great that's good writing man. Uh, yeah all the writing it was like so quippy and perfect yeah. what was it uh something early on like the barmaid was asking him like elizabeth montgomery yeah who is samantha yeah Bewitched? and that's another thing too i walk in the recording and it's like elizabeth montgomery and you're like <laughs> <laughs> you just do like the uh you know the lou costello thing <laughs> can't talk she, I mean, he said something about like I had it to like to pay for piano lessons or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm botching the line, but it was just like all of the like the the language was so great. Yeah, it felt, I mean, like the costuming felt. I I don't know anything about that era, oh. but it felt accurate. Oh no, watching no, it. that was that was another thing. It's like Joe Denton, who's no longer with us. Um, I'm trying to remember what Joe. I think Joe's actual job was either he was a background guy or he was a prop guy. But on this one, Joe would actually have pictures of himself when he would go away for weekends. And we would have long discussions about, you know, arguing battles of the Civil War, about this general, that general, and what happened. You know, he was just like a total aficionado. He had pictures of himself that were like tintypes of him in cowboy regalia, you know. (laughs) This is what he would do on his weekends, you know. So when it came to this show... You know, it's like we have the like the Zepp the ironclad Zeppelin, 
And, you know, I just go home and I'd grab books and Joe comes in and he's just got books and we're just like, yeah, I like this. No monitor. No, it's more like the Merrimack. No, it's like, you know, the CSS Virginia. No, no, it's more like the monitor. You, know, you got to have like, OK, it's the monitor and the Merrimack. <laughs> And it's a Zeppelin. <laughs> Best of all worlds. <laughs> yeah. And it's got, instead of a paddle wheel, you know, so it's got that whole technology. Yeah, it's just so yeah. fun to watch. Like, yeah. you could mute the episode and still enjoy it, I think. Yeah. No, it's like between, and Joe just jumped in there, uh, you know, costuming, absolutely. I well, love actually, how Rage is dressed. <laughs> yeah, the top hat. Oh, the monocle, like everything about it. He's yeah. like so dapper Rage al Ghul. <laughs> yeah. And, I guess he's always dapper. Yeah, well, he always is, but in this at this period, it's like he's a man of the period. But he's also a man. He's no longer wearing the cape. He's a guy that can pass for anyone. He can go to town, you right. know, and no one's gonna. Oh well, here, who's this dandy? You know, yeah, that's I, all. He's kind of dressed like an undertaker, but it's just so cool. And he feels a little softer character-wise. He's not quite as I don't know if he's been destroyed by the Lazarus yeah. Pit as much. Soft guy. Yeah, he well, warns to people. Arcadia, I guess. Yeah, he he warns people before he lets loose with Gatling guns and cannon. You know, right. Run if you value your lives. It's your own fault for wanting to stay in your town. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so, wait, what, why do you love Ra's al Ghul? Because you are attached to the character oh, so many times. I, you directed the Demon's Quest, parts one and two, Avatar, this one. Well, I guess I can be a bit of an a-hole at times. And one of the times, I think, was um, when I was hired, like when I had the interview and they showed, you know, Bruce Nerick showed me the... Uh, the short and then i read you know i looked at the script and i was like oh my you know i'm on board but just tell me one thing it's like you know when rachel ghoul shows up i'm doing that episode and one thing that bruce said always said is if you'll notice people i don't think notice it so much but this batman batman the animated series you never see bruce wayne with the cowl on he never takes the cowl off never does which happens a lot in other cartoons you know of batman uh-huh he never does that and then i and he says no there's it's either he's bruce wayne or he's going to be batman that's the rule and then i said until rachel ghoul shows up in the bat cave right and I'm doing that episode. Oh, and it's such a good one, too. <laughs> I just said, just give me Rachel Gould. Did he say yes? He was like, all right. <laughs> he says, okay, yeah, we actually shook hands on it. And when Alan Burnett showed up, um, they went, actually, this is another story, is because, again, I'm such a snob, you know, that I wasn't terribly happy with most of the scripts we were getting at the time. Yeah, um, I've heard from some people that the earlier scripts, people just, were having trouble with. Yeah, they weren't getting it, because... Um, the mandate was kind of like we're doing Fleischer Superman, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, what we were getting was, well, I almost expected to see an episode about Batman's dog, you know? And there was emphasis on that he has a recycle bin in the Batcave, you know? Things like that are in the scripts. And I'm just, oh, my God. I actually threw one out of my office. It was so bad. Did it, did it get made or was... No. Do you remember um, I, what it was about? I remember that it was the ventriloquist dummy. It wasn't Scarface, though. Huh. But I remember Batman in the script. I'm reading it, and and actually we had to get a show into production. And Bruce said, I know this one's not that good, you know, but just give it a read. 
let's hammer it out. We'll make it work. And I had board artists reading it, and they went, oh, man, you know, this, this one, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh, come on, you know. And so after trying to cajole everyone into it, I read it. And I get to the climax where Batman is wrestling with a ventriloquist dummy. And he's actually, it's in a prison, and there's this ventriloquist dummy that attacks him and he actually has like a wrestling match with it. And I just, at that point I just went, no. And I threw the thing, <laughs> I just picked it up spontaneously threw it. And I, th- <laughs> it left the door of my office and the brads came undone. And it, so it just flew like confetti. And I was like, okay, I'm fired. <laughs> um, but they, no, they didn't. Jean McCurdy actually read the script and says, yeah, yeah, this is a problem. But she said, uh, you know, uh, that's when they brought in Randy Rogel and Alan Burnett. Uh-huh. And I said, Alan Burnett, that name's familiar. He says, yeah, he did uh, DuckTales. I'm like, DuckTales? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> like, I mean, DuckTales is great, but what? And then I read those two guys. Uh, Two-Face was literally one of the best scripts I've ever read. I mean, it's incredible. It's not for children. Yeah. And And you look at that show, and TMS did the animation on that one. Uh to my memory, Two Face Part One and Two, I don't think I changed anything from the script. I think that the board is pretty much what was written on that Damn. one. How often? So I guess you know, for I guess listeners who aren't familiar with how storyboarding goes, you want to walk us through maybe the process of like if you get a script, what's the first thing that you do? Um. Well. It varies from studio to studio. It depends. So for it, Batman, I guess, what was your on, experience? On Batman, what we did was, like, we'd get the script. Um, Bruce, Eric, you know, would read it, obviously. Um, what I would do was generally what would happen is I'd read the script, and I'd, you know, and all the board artists would read the script. And then I'd meet with Bruce, and I'd meet with Eric, you know, mm-hmm. and talk about, like, ideas and stuff. And you talk about what changes you're going to do, too. Like for instance, on Harlequinade, one of I think that's my favorite Harlequin yeah, episode I, I, by far. God, I love, <laughs> I love Harley. Yeah, Harley's such a good character, and Arlene was such what a great character. Yeah, I just love how that you know it's like she hits him on the head and it's like puddin'. Try this one on puddin'. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but like for instance on that. Uh, Paul wrote the script, and the climax in the script, even if you ha- got a copy of the script, I think it would say, the Joker's in a helicopter. Right. He's but got that when gun. I got it, I go and I say, hey, I'm going to do, you know, like a Martin Bomber with twin Lewis machine guns in the front. Yeah, he's got the, and he's got the... Yeah, and we'll do the whole Red Baron thing. And, you know, Bruce is like, yep, sounds good to me. Paul, yep, sounds good to me. I mean, that's one of the most memorable moments of that episode, too, is, like, yeah. you know, him also getting hit on the head and just kind of, like, yeah. spinning around, just yeah. shooting wildly, which is funny, but also scary. <laughs> like, yeah. it's great. So, it's like, you don't change anything in the dialogue or anything, but there there are instances like that where, yeah, the board artist, the boarding takes over. And generally, those kinds of things, if it's that big a deviation, I'll do it myself. Gotcha. And then there's also broadcast standard stuff, too. Like, you know, the, how you portray violence. And well, that. in this episode in Showdown, I was surprised that you got away with <laughs> a lot like, of it. I mean, Robin like, fights dirty in the beginning of it. He punches directly into mm-hmm. the guy's crotch. Yeah, that's, uh, I think it was Troy Adamitis who, you know, 
who you kind of like he's a Troy God, how old was he? He was like 20, 21 at that time, I think. He was a young guy. But he's like a total martial artist, so the way that Batman fights is how Batman fights. And then the way that Robin fights is the way that Robin fights, but it's all like actually practical martial arts. Yeah, I if you're it was doing great. if you're doing practical martial arts, that's kind of a BS&P thing. You know, it's like no, it's like if you're just throwing haymakers, it kind of throws up a big red flag. If you show that Batman and Robin have trained and what they're doing is controlled and specific, you know, like the way that Batman kicks a guy, he's not just kicking someone that someone's going to mimic. To be able to kick like that, you're going to have to train for years. Interesting. So that was what they would allow to happen. Yeah. And it's like the same thing with guns, um, like pistols firing at people was a no-no. Um Tommy guns from the 30s is like an icon of another time. No one's going to get a Tommy gun. Interesting. You're still yeah, I've, not heard, willing... I've talked to some writers who were saying that, like, if you called it a dark deco weapon, <laughs> yeah. you could get away with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Gotham, the dark deco state. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, uh, and in this one, it's kind of the same thing because you have cannon. Right. You know, Civil War Colt, actual Colt pistols, black powder pistols, although they're probably converted for cartridges for our own purposes because you don't see anyone reloading. Right. Um, and, yeah, those are Navy Colt revolvers. That's another thing that no one can get their hands on unless you're a collector, you know, and you could spend a fortune. Um, and it's also it's a Western, which also takes it out of that. Mm-hmm. Now, thank God those guys on the bridge, you never see anyone get hit, but it's like those guys with the Gatling guns are pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the bullets kind of race up to the guys and then, oh, it stops. I mean, that attack sequence is thrilling. The third act is really amazing. No, thanks. The way it's like, I think, especially the way it's boarded, too, is really great. Uh, in general, the shot composition is is really wonderful and a lot of it's reminiscent of westerns in in general it felt yeah. different than other batman episodes but somehow still in the same world oh yeah no no it's like kind of like well you ask about my influences it's like i'll go like i'm one of those guys that would sit up all night watching tv you know if there's a hitchcock movie on i'm gonna watch it um you know, Harryhausen movie, if it's on, it's like, I'm going to watch it. You know, it's like, I don't care if it's on at four in the morning. I'm going to get up and watch it. Hmm. You know, that's how I spent my whole youth, you know, is like watching and absorbing, studying movies. So it was in there, just yeah. ready to... <laughs> yeah, no, it's like Hitchcock, huge, huge influence on me. You know, Hitch, If I don't know if anyone noticed, but Hitchcock is all over Batman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was yeah. just watching Perchance to Dream, and mm-hmm. that final sequence is like very vertigo-y in that yeah. clock tower or the, or the church, maybe. Yeah. God, what was that? Is that Boyd's show? I think it was one of Boyd's shows. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was also written by Joe Lansdale. Or oh, the okay. teleplay, at least, was by him. There you go. Yeah, his stuff was really great. He only hit a few episodes. Uh, yeah, he was mainly a comic guy at the time. Yeah. The reason why he, got, he did Jonah Hex is because he was doing Jonah Hex. He was writing the comic at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this. Uh, what other memories do you have? Well, actually, why don't we talk about this? We talked about it off mic, but uh, there was a, a section cut from the episode. <laughs> there, yeah, there, that's the sad thing about this one was that it was at the time when they were... I, 
this had to go on Saturday morning, and there was like I believe a minute more to be cut out than if it was just in the regular afternoon slot and or the evening slot like i think there was a little more time in those and so it came down to like where i was there i think it was joe gall but we're like editing and editing and editing and it's like no i don't want to lose this i don't want to lose this and then there's the thing where uh where the airship gets hit and our katie duvall is you know pissed off and rachel gould tells him go you know and, and he goes and he goes by this one guy who's sitting there smirking against the bulkhead and he's got a saber on him and arcady duvall just looks up at him and just look, grabs him by the face pushes him away at the same time grabbing his saber out of the sheath oh arcady sucks i mean he's great i just what yeah. a what a horrible guy <laughs> no and and malcolm mcdowell and there's another thing too is like malcolm mcdowell um brought his uh wife um at the time God, I can't remember her name. It was but she was. Uh, I was sitting there while he was in there recording, and he comes out to Jonah Hex and he goes, "I was a Heidelberg fencing champion," and she goes to me, "Oh, when he did Royal Flash, that's exactly what Oliver Reed did to him." And I went, "What? Yeah, we were, they were gonna before they shot the scene where they actually do like the the Schlager, you know, it's like this German fencing duel. Yeah. Before they do that, she said, apparently Oliver Reed came out and said." I was a Heidelberg fencing master. And I think I think that Malcolm McDowell, I don't remember what his line back was. You'd have to ask him. That's hilarious. Yeah. So he got to, I mean, he got to use it in this. And that was, uh, yeah, I, and that's another thing, too. I love doing. Uh, the weird thing about me as an artist, as a comic artist, is I like doing comics, animation, whatever. I like doing stuff that people just are like horrified by, like horses. Horses are tough to do in animation. Yeah, I, I definitely. <laughs> but I love doing horses. I, just, I, you know, it's like wait, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, there's horses all over Batman because in Avatar, the riding horses. Oh yeah, and we got Chen Yi Chang who actually did the character designs. I believe he did the horse designs, like the cats. I like doing cats. Yeah, there <laughs> you know? are definitely. I mean, Isis shows up, <laughs> and there's yeah. That's the only character design that I would say is mine. Really, you designed Isis? Yeah, because at that time, you know, I, I don't think Bruce really liked drawing animals. You know, he was doing all this other stuff. So it's like, ah, hey, you do it. You know. Well, you know, there's a new Isis action figure on the market right now. Woohoo! Based on your design. Yeah, well, uh, I think exciting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely boarded Isis. That's for sure. <laughs> But um, no, and and the other thing is like you know ironclad airships, you know. That cannons. just seems like so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it's no, super it is. difficult I, and detailed. Absolutely, <laughs> it's like it's, it's a not masochistic the, part that, of you. That then? thing was not the easiest thing to draw, but it's like it wasn't really a problem, you know. For well, not for me. I mean, look at the stuff. The stuff where Jonah Hex goes underground in this show. Um, that's Kurt Gaeta. You know, he just. I don't think any of that stuff was even designed. Those things pumping up and down. Yeah, I love the machinery. Yeah, and the the forges and things. Well, the reveal is so cool. I mean, I wish that, that like when I was rewatching it, I was like, man, I wish I didn't remember this because the first time you see it, all the surprises are so great. Uh, I mean, just the airship being revealed, just the fact that Jonah Hex is in the episode, and it's not really about Batman. I mean, it's such a great episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's, yeah, that's right. What you said earlier, it's like, now that I think about it, yeah, it has an actual ball punch. Yeah, it has a ball punch, for sure. I mean, yeah. like, it cuts it's to It's off light, camera. But it's like, 
No, it's, it's you're so looking clearly through the guy's, You're looking through the guy's legs, and then you truck out, and, <laughs> and there's no question what he, because it stops the guy dead. Oh, yeah, the guy's like, ooh. <laughs> no, and, but this one, God, I'm trying to think now. Yeah. Kurt Gaeta did that sequence, um, and I don't think he had any uh, reference other than, like, maybe what Joe and I gave him in books. That must have been so fun to work on the show yeah. and just get and that's that freedom. One the, and that's another mean fight that happens where those the two guys in the armor oh, absolutely. show up. And, we, you know, that was another thing because, you know, Kurt's like, I can't make this. I, he can't just shoot somebody. He said, well, if they're armored guys, maybe <laughs> he'll get through. And sure enough. You can see the ricochets going off the metal, but it's still like I actually yeah, remember. Brutal. I actually remember having a conversation with the BSNP and saying, "Oh no, it's very important that we see bullets ricocheting, you know, those sparks off of the metal. That's that's what you know." Oh, and they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense." I feel like I've been on those kinds of calls, uh, usually for parody purposes, and it's a lot of like creative, <laughs> creative yeah. excuses. Like, how can I? kind of pull one over to still get this idea going <laughs> yeah not, well that, that's kind of what you know, that, that is what we were all doing yeah well and let's talk about the ending a little bit uh mm-hmm. which is a great what one of the cooler parts of the episode too how it all does dovetail and connect i mean the fact that arcady is the old man that Raish was kidnapping yeah. yeah no i that again i think I don't know. That was all. Uh, I think Troy. Yeah, no, yeah. Troy did the beginning and the ending, and um, I think that was also one of the characters, the background characters that I got to really like was Ubu. Ubu's great. Yeah. No, yeah. it's like that, and he, and this is like where Ubu actually kind of starts to really have a personality, and he's not just against Batman. He's a very empathetic character for somebody who only mm-hmm. showed up a few times in the show. Yeah, and and he actually has his moment at the end of Avatar, where it's like throws him that canister. Yeah, he throws him like a canteen of water. Yeah, you know, because you know, and it just he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say thank you for saving my life, which Batman does. Yeah, and uh, no, he's, there's another interesting character too. Well, I, what I love about these race episodes too is that Batman never really feels like he wins. At yeah. best, he can maybe break even. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just to backtrack again. Yeah. About Rachel Ghoul is like when I was a kid. Just one of the coolest comics to show up was the Rachel Ghoul comics by Adams. I think Jim Apero did one of them, um, but it was basically it was Denny O'Neill and um, and. Uh, and Neil Adams. And like there's just that moment where they're stripped to the waist and dueling in the middle of the desert, you know. I just when I was a kid, I just nah. Just I, ingrained in your I, brain. I wanna do that. I want I was like it's almost like I was looking for the ability to do that. So I was like at the end of getting hired, I says, I'm on board. But let me do the Rachel Ghoul episodes. You know, please let me do Rachel Ghoul. And when Alan Burnett got hired, it was the same thing. I said, Okay, you know, it's like this is fantastic. I love your writing and stuff, but promise me when Rachel Ghoul shows up, I get to do him. <laughs> Please. You know, and, and, and Batman's going to be stripped to the waist and Rachel Ghoul stripped to the waist and they're going to have a sword fight. I mean, they're great. I loved seeing Batman sword fight. It only <laughs> happens in like one other episode. Well, it's like, and I, and that's another thing too, that talking about stuff that you shouldn't want to do, 
because it's so much work, but I love choreographing sword fights. Yeah, well, it's, it also it looks beautiful. Like you did a great job. It's elegant and it's it's just one of the cooler yeah. things. You don't see that in the animated series much. So you have in Demon's Quest, you have this great uh, you know you have the moment, and I was able to choreograph the sword fight between Rachel Ghoul and Batman. That's in the finale, right? Like the over finale. around the pit, right? And it's like you know you you kind of have to foolproof it for the animators too. So you really have to spell it out and draw it. Oh, man. And then this one where it's like saber versus bowie knife. That's even better. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and that's even tougher to do. And then in Avatar, it was just kind of magic supernatural. Like the yeah. goo in that was so cool. I don't even know. I mean, I'm just. Yeah. That was another one that um, actually Bruce and I um, brainstormed on that one, too. Um because in Avatar, what showed up was not... I'm trying to remember. It was a mummy show, kind of, but yeah. not... It wasn't what was there, because we go like, no, no, we're going to do a hammer film. Huh. And so you look at the beginning, and it's like the part that Mike Gogan boarded, and I think... Uh, it's probably Bruce's design. It was either Bruce or Mike's design, but it's like, that's Peter Cushing. That goes down into the hole. It is yeah. Peter Cushing. And that's on purpose. Oh, that's so cool. I and mean, it, it had brought so many elements in. To me, it felt like very, like it had like Maltese Falcon moments and like a little Indiana oh, yeah. Jones thrown and in there. And that's another was... thing, too. Batplane. I hate the Batplane. <laughs> There's this flying saucer. We got a world with a super cool world with all these propeller-driven aircraft. Yeah. And then there's the Batplane. And it's like, that ain't no plane. That's a flying saucer. It hovers. <laughs> so in that episode, um, that was another giant change, was like not only Thoth Capera, which was, you know, Nichelle Nicole. Yeah. Oh, my God. She was, just to meet her, was just like fantastic. You know, that that's another fantastic moment in my life. You know, it's like Uhura. It's like, it's... oh, my God. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to I probably passed out and woke up later. Kevin, Kevin, yeah. it's been huh? four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and but anyway, but on that one, uh, it, it was just like the, the whole underground scenario. That was me and Bruce, you know, brainstorming. Let's come up with something cool. And the fact that I think the original Thoth Capera was like this guy. And we made it, no, no, if it's a Hammer film, it's going to be this sexy, cool, seductive, evil thing that actually is a terrifying mummy well, that's what i love that turnaround of like yeah. I, you know the kiss yeah and then like seeing that it's like a disgusting falling apart creature and then <laughs> the oozy like you know format you know, i love all of it <laughs> yeah no we were doing we were we were definitely doing a hammer film then it was great i mean it was just fun to see like this and showdown feel like separate like episodes like they still fit in the universe but you know when you're watching it, it it's really nice it's like a breath of fresh air yeah, and uh, I'll well I'll say this too. Um, everyone kind of thinks it was a foregone, foregone conclusion amongst everyone working on the show that like, oh, this is going to be a big hit. You know, obviously Gene McCurdy and you know the you know the higher ups mm-hmm. and you know Tom Ruger, they all felt like yeah, this is going to be a big hit. But like, I'm just this guy that's banging out storyboards, you know. Checking layouts, doing this, doing that, doing the timing. It's like there's not a whole lot of time you got on your hands. And it's like in, in my whole career in film and animation and comics, for that matter, is like 
You're basically a guy sitting hunched over a desk. You don't really know. Then I go up to um, WonderCon, and um, it was before it was on the air. And I go up to one the DC booth, and uh, at that time, WonderCon at that time was in Oakland. It was yeah. not. It's not Comic Con. Whatever. And I go there, and uh, Danny O'Neill is there, and I'm like, oh. Mr. O'Neill, it's like, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he said, you know, you Kevin Altier, you did, um, you're doing Batman, right? And I'm like, yeah, we're showing it today. And I'm like, what? Your episode on Leather Wings. I'm like, really? Oh, yeah. He says, no, no, you gotta, you gotta stop by. People like it. Oh, okay. So I go across the street, have a few drinks with friends and I go, oh, they're going to be showing my show. Like I'm like half tanked, yeah, you know, because I hadn't eaten anything and I just had like these beers and I go in place is packed and i sit down anonymously in the audience and um i was shocked at the reaction and as man bat like i'm sitting there waiting for these moments that i boarded and what i wanted out of people i think it's only going to be on you know i'm only ever going to hear from this because people are watching it on tv i'll hear it later and i'm sitting there in this audience and when, you know, the moment when they're in the cockpit, he's like, they're right below us. What? And then, poof, man bat goes by. Yeah. And you're looking up at man bat, and the whole audience is doing it. And all of a sudden, Batman's face goes smack, and the whole audience jumped. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Mission yes. accomplished. <laughs> I can't believe it. And um, as, like, he's, you know, Batman's on man bat's back, just, like, pummeling him. Um, this kid sitting in front of me just goes, oh my God, I don't, they, they did it. Someone finally did it. And I could hear him sobbing like he was crying, oh, you know, man. and this guy sitting in front of me and it's like, and I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is pretty good. And then of course the lights come up and Denny O'Neill stands up and everyone's like, yeah, it's like this big response. I'd never had that kind of response in my life and i was like getting up to leave and denny o'neill goes hey kevin you're in the audience somewhere come on up the director's here and i'm like oh <laughs> i'm a little tanked right now <laughs> yeah and so it was like one of the most embarrassing moments of my life but it was really good uh it sounds really gratifying yeah that was it was totally so so unexpected so unexpected that's so cool I, yeah getting to see it live with an audience is such yeah. a different experience because you can imagine how people are reacting but really yeah but you know what's even better? What? Two-Face Part 1. Um, I got a phone call from Shirley in the office, and she said, we're recording one of the shows, um, your episode, uh, Two-Face. Um, would you want to come over and take a look? You know, I have some questions I want to ask. So, sure. And I... Th- I, I can't remember, but I think I was there with Bruce. I think it was both Bruce, Bruce and I went. Maybe it was me and Eric. I'm not exactly sure. I don't quite remember. But we're sitting there, and I walk in, and it's on the Warner's lot, and there's this orchestra spread out in front of us. And Shirley's, like, very focused, you know, and just, like, sitting there saying, oh, yeah, great, great, you're here, okay. So she, you know, everything lines up, you know, they're okay. Tap, 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 tap screen there's the cartoon you know comes up and it's like flowing music you know and just oh my god cellos and 
and and violins and oh what and and oh and then it's like and all of a sudden da da boom the take is done and she turns around what'd you think i'm like uh, what <laughs> sorry i was immersed in that, an that amazing was, musical performance that was wonderful <laughs> that's all you could say to her it was just it was that that was really one of the best that's one of the best parts of animation if you can sit on like the live scoring of that's, something you did it's amazing no i really i'm really glad that people still watch batman and really like it um you know thank you for making it yeah well you're welcome i love animation i still love animation yeah that's why i'm still doing it <laughs> yeah what are you working on right now uh, right now, I'm working for Hasbro, um, directing Rescue Bots. Oh, cool. Transformer Rescue Bots. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, this latest uh, Comic-Con, I was walking around, and people would introduce me. Hey, this is Kevin Altieri, who did Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, yeah, mutter, mutter. And uh, if the people have kids, the kids go, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, I'm directing Rescue Bots. Rescue bots? What are you kidding me? <laughs> so no, you're going to be doing a podcast in like ten years and yes. with those kids now. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, you know, there's there's been many shows since Batman, and they're they're all they all have something that's like worth doing. You know, all of them. And uh, you know, I've done music videos. I did Pearl Jam. That was great. That's a great experience. They're all good and bad experiences. You know, like they're tough to do. You but know. at the end of the tunnel, you're like, oh, I made this cool thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, actually, the, the one that, that, that is, other than Batman, is like perhaps the Pearl Jam video is one of the things I'm most proud of. Because that's kind of like looking inside of my head, for good or worse. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking. Uh, no problem. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Kevin Altieri, a super nice guy and a surfer. I believe he surfs every day. So that's a fun fact for you surf fans. I don't know. Uh, let me go quickly check on my number over at the rent-a-vehicle. Alrighty, very old woman. You're all set. Would you like an extra set of keys for your very old-timey Jules Verne tunneling machine? No, I'm drilling solo, baby! Sinners, here I come! 10,482. Oh, yes, 10,482. That's me. Hey, hi, hi. How's it going? Please, sir, stop screaming at the top of your lungs. Now, would you like to rent a car, a scooter, a jet ski, a piggyback ride? Uh, a car, please. Just, just a normal car. Oh, I've also got this coupon that I got from a ghost sandwich. Lucky you. An extremely minor discount. Your total will be 2000 or the promise of promoting Rent-A-Vehicle in a future episode of your podcast. Yeah, I think I'll go with the latter. Great. Here are your keys. You're now the proud owner of a Nissan Sentra without wheels. Oh, come on. I need a car for my PodQuest cast. Don't scream no more. My little ears... They're hurting from all your screams. Okay, sorry. It's okay. Just take a number in the next room and wait for your wheel pickup appointment. It shouldn't take more than two weeks. Two weeks? Are you kidding me? By that time, I'll be releasing another episode. Not my problem, buddy. Well, guys, it looks like I'll be here a while. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please make sure to rate it and subscribe on iTunes. It helps us a bunch if you leave a review, so if you listen to it regularly, do that. 
Follow the show on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at Hey Justin. You can email me at BTASpodcast at gmail.com and find more at www.BTASpodcast.com. Guys, I have some really exciting guests in the pipeline. I think you're going to be really excited to hear them, and they are in editorial right now. I want to make the best show humanly possible for you. So if you do listen regularly and you like the show, please consider donating. The show costs a good chunk of change each month for me to produce and edit and host on the internet. So if you've got anything you can throw my way, go to btaspodcast.com slash about, click on the donate button, Anything helps. I really appreciate it. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and Natalie Palamides, a.k.a. the upcoming voice of Buttercup, starred as Dolores Dumples and the Very Old Woman. A huge thanks to my guests Eric Martin and Kevin Altieri, as well as Pat Jansen for sound engineering the session, and Whitney Lovell at Stupid Buddy Studios for helping coordinate. Lastly, a huge thanks to This American Life producer Tori Malatia, who actually sold all of his personal belongings just to pay for my piano lessons. Tori, I hope those piano lessons were worth it. See you guys in a couple weeks for another Batman the Animated Podcast.